Revelation chapter 19. Revelation 19. If there is any passage that is probably the most ominous of of passages in the book of Revelation, it's this one. I think just reading the passage in just a moment is, for, for people who aren't familiar with biblical theology from Genesis to Revelation, would cringe at the thought that there is going to be a a terrifying judgment at the end in which birds of prey are invited to come and eat the flesh of men. Now, some people would cringe enough to say, well, maybe that's just symbolic. Maybe it's just metaphoric. Or maybe it's just what's going to happen. It's enough that man has disobeyed God and been rebellious to a good and gracious God to the extent that man has gone so far from where God had created him to be. And we think that that's okay because there really aren't any consequences. But we know better. Even people who live outside of the knowledge of God, people who live in society that in a society like ours that's supposed to be really found, founded on, on law, even atheists and unbelievers have to have some sense of right and wrong. But when man goes to the extreme of wanting all restraints taken off. And we see now in society that happening, in our society. Whatever goes, you know. So, philosophically speaking, you know, in, in, one, in one way that uh, we used to say this was wrong, now it's, it's okay for everybody, but the ones who are really wrong are the ones who say it was wrong from before and still say it's wrong now. And they become intolerant of those who hold to a standard like we do, of the Word of God and, and of, of, the, of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and, and of the laws of God. That's, it's crazy, isn't it? And so we have to realize that when God says, I, I have given you an opportunity for life, for mercy, for grace, for truth, for a solution to the sin dilemma, which, of course, all of us have entered into sin because we were born in sin. And, it's, and he says, I, I have set this as, as, the, the, as the solution for it. I sent my only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him, believing meaning that we believe and trust 
totally on Him, and now we commit ourselves to following Him in obedience, then whoever doesn't do that will have to suffer the consequences. But the opportunity has been given for life. Death came into existence not through some evolutionary process of billions of years. Death came into this world in Genesis Genesis chapter 3 when Satan brought it into effect by bringing temptation upon the man and the woman in the garden. And man and woman disobeyed God. One commandment disobeyed it and brought death into the picture. All of this battle, all of this stuff that's been going on now for 6,000 years, nearly 6,000 years, has to do with God closing out all accounts with Satan first and then with all who follow him. With a third of the angels that came out of heaven following Satan, to every person on earth that has rejected the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's as clear of an introduction as I can give you going into this last section of chapter 19. Those of you who have been with us in Revelation understand this. Those of you who may not have been with us for this amount of time, I want you to understand. God is not a God of hate. God is a God of love. God is not a God of death. He's a God of life. But because of all of these things that have been brought into this earth, God is a God of justice. And justice is what we're dealing with in all the judgments that are yet to come. And God has been judging throughout all this time. We see it in the Old Testament, how how many nations have been judged because they came against God and His people. How many times has God had to judge His own people because of disobedience and rebellion? How many times? You know, but when He judges us, He judges us on a different, in a different way because we're His and He's bringing us back to Him. Israel is His and constantly is bringing them back to Him. So we, we need to have that understanding going into this next section. So far in the first part of, of, of Revelation 19, we have dealt with the marriage supper of the Lamb. <coughs> Excuse me. And again, this is significant because of what we're seeing now here at the end time. What we're going to see now as a consummation of the ages, as, as, as the final process of, of bringing an end to this World and bringing in the new heavens and the new earth, which will be seen in the next three chapters. So, as we get into this last section, with that understanding in mind, it says, And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather together for the supper of the great God. Now, we're not talking about the marriage supper of the Lamb, that's already been done. Uh, that, that was done because there was a wedding in heaven, Jesus and the church, the bride of Christ. This is a different supper. 
Come and gather together for the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and of those who sit on them, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast, the Antichrist, as it were. And I saw the beast, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. And then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet, who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. And the rest were killed with a sword, which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh." I want you to look at a few images. And I want you to see these images because they're connecting what we're teaching and what we've been studying now for the last two and a half years in the book of Revelation. They're connecting us to what is happening in the world today. Now again, if you've been with us for any amount of time, especially within the last, let's say, the last three, four, five, six months... As we were going through Revelation chapter 17 and, and dealing with mystery, uh, mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots, and all of that, and looking at, a, at, at a, another perspective that hadn't been taught before, dealing with the fact that we're not looking at the mystery Babylon as being Rome, but actually being something out in the desert, something called Arabia, something called Dubai, something called rich money oil type of stuff you know we you got to go back if you haven't got those you need to get those cds and catch up but these are images that are telling us that we are dealing with things today that are preparing for this happening in the scriptures you all know who that is that was the former president or that is the former president of iran and he's at the united nations this is mahmoud ahmadinejad and a few years ago, not too long ago, but a few years ago, he said this, at the United Nations, before all of these other nations and their representatives, he said, with the grace of God and help of the nations in the new Middle East, there will be no trace of the Americans and Zionists, speaking of, of course, Israel. And that was a direct quote. Saying it to all the nations, the United Nations is supposed to bring peace to this world. And he defies that because the United Nations is really the united nothingness. They do, do, don't do anything to bring peace. I get a little passionate about them because they're totally anti-God there. There he is again, death to Israel. He says it all the time. The nation continues to have that desire just because they have a new... Uh, a president doesn't mean, you know, because they say he's a little bit more moderate than this guy, but they're all nuts. Don't quote me on that. This is a recent bombing in Israel from Gaza. Are you all familiar with that going on in the news today? It's happening. They're, they're bombing Israel a lot. They claim that Israel does not uh, give them aid or help, which is a lie they do. The people are, are not, they're supposed to be taken care of by uh, the Palestinian organization there, but they're being, uh, the, everything is being run by Hamas, which is a terrorist group, just like in, in, uh, in Lebanon, uh, Hezbollah is over there, 
and, and they just shoot rockets into Israel. Uh, they had had some casualties, people injured until just recently that one person was killed. Israel is going to retaliate. The United Nations says you shouldn't retaliate. That's what I mean about the United Nations. This is Hamas in Gaza. That's Gaza. Why do I bring these images up? Because how could there not be some great war that the Bible has already predicted is going to happen in that land? We're going to talk a little bit about Armageddon again. Back in chapter 16, we saw the mention of Armageddon, the Valley of Megiddo. Those of you who have been to Israel with us, you've seen it. It's a pretty big valley. And we're going to see it and talk about it again here in just a moment. But the marriage supper of the Lamb and the grand banquet, which graces it, which we've already studied this, uh, in, in this first part of this chapter, will be speedily followed with a closing scene of this present world. And unless a person is completely dead spiritually or fooled into believing that the events of this present time in the Middle East and in Israel especially have no prophetic or biblical significance whatsoever, as those who hold to a preterist view that says that all of these things in the Bible have already happened, or the replacement theology people who say that there is really no Israel now, but the church takes over all of the blessings of Israel. No, that's not true. Or an amillennial theology that says, of course, that these things are all metaphoric and not really going to happen. It is hard to believe otherwise that we are in the final stretches of the last days. We are in the final stretches of the last days. And may I remind you of the words of the Apostles Paul and John, because they are reminding us of the climate, not only militarily or politically or governmentally in the world, they remind us of the climate culturally and societal uh, things. Let's look at 1 Timothy 4, verses 1. He says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith. That is happening time and time and time again. Many people are departing from the true faith. They, they, may, they may be, you know, just kind of born into a Christian family or born into a Christian home, but a person doesn't become a Christian because they're born into the family. They have to come to the knowledge of Christ and then receive it, just as, as, as all of us here did, that did do that. But the Spirit expressly says, that In the latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. I just found out today that uh, there's going to be a movie not uh, coming out uh, probably around Halloween, uh, it's called the Ouija, the Ouija movie. It's about, I, I guess it has something to do with Ouija boards and stuff, you know. Uh, people are fascinated with the occult today. And uh, have been for quite a while. I'm not just talking about recently. I'm talking about for a long, long time. But this is where people lean toward, you know, the, the fanatical and, the, and whatnot into a lot of the deceiving spirits doctrines of demons. So speaking lies and hypocrisy having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. Now, you, you would think Paul, Paul is just talking about the world. He's talking about the church, too. These things are happening in the church. Forbidding to marry. 
Now, let me just comment on that very quickly. This issue of forbidding to marry is not just forbidding to marry, as some people say, well, they're just not, not wanting to marry. It, it's, there, there's there's a, an understanding in this that says forbidding to marry as God has commanded to marry. Unless a person has been commanded not to, but it is with the intent to disobey God in marrying in any way they want to marry. Not marrying the way God wants them to. Something to think about as far as the struggles that we're going through in in our country today about marriage and same-sex marriage and all of that. Forbidding to marry, commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. So we see how some of that is affected. You know, we're living in the last days. We're seeing some of that. But even more in the next book of uh, Paul, Second Timothy, in verse 1 of chapter 3, he says, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. Now, he deals with dangerous times, difficult times, and he says, For men will be lovers of themselves. I, I don't know of a, of a time that we have so many people loving themselves like today. As a matter of fact, I think one of those, one of those things, and I, I, I know I've seen it in, in things like Facebook and, and, and whatnot, but it's, it's that new thing called the selfie, you know. Now, I'm not condemning that, okay? You can take pictures of yourself. Well, we've all done it, you know. <laughs> Whatever, maybe. <laughs> but, but the point of the matter is, I've seen some pictures where people are doing this, I mean, admiring themselves. And we have a society that only cares about themselves and not others. Lovers of money. Sound like, sounds like today, doesn't it? Boasters. Proud. Blasphemers. You can apply that to music, the arts, movies. Down the line, TV, blasphemers. Many of the TV programs that you watch today make Christians out to be idiots or people of faith. Disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders without self-control, brutal, Despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty or arrogant, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. We live in a pleasure-laden society, folks. It's all about what we feel, how we feel, how good we can feel. Having a form of godliness, we want it all to look good with God, but denying the power, denying its power, and from such people turn away. We're not even, you know, we're not even called to, you know, just to receive the people. That's, that's a pretty strong statement, isn't it? And then John writes in 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 and 19, he says, Little children, it is the last hour. It's not just the last days or the latter days, it's the last hour. And he says, it's the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. If that was the way it was 2,000 years ago, how many more are there today? By which we know that it is the last hour. 
And if we have that many more antichrists today in this world, then we're, we're in the last minutes, not the last hour. And he said, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. That's where we are today. And as we continue out, uh, if, as we continue on in Revelation 19, the closing scene that I just read to you from verses 17 to 21 is one of war and blood. It is the battle of the great day of God Almighty. It is the coming forth of the powers of eternity to take forcible possession of the earth. It finds all of the united and associated kingdoms of man assembled in rebellion against the anointed and the rightful sovereign of the earth. An impact of epic proportion will ensue. One so great that it will have, that will have ever occurred under heaven. And the result will be a victory for the forces of right and light. A victory that is to be forever. It is the victory for those that are right and in the light of the glory of God. And as we get into our text tonight, it is necessary to mention that repetition is very instructive. Many times I tell you that repetition is one of our best teachers. We see a lot of repetition in Scripture because God wants us to make sure that we're getting certain points. And here is, is no different. When we study Prophecy in general, there's a lot of repetition, but especially in this passage. Because the word flesh is repeated six times in these five verses. Six times. Now you also, you always just get into the habit now, as, not just studying prophecy, but any book of the Bible. But always get into the habit that if you read one, one word more than once, there's something to that. Here we have the word flesh mentioned six times in five verses. The word itself has a very literal meaning. The word that is used here refers to the skin and the muscles of the Lord's enemies at His second coming. It refers to the skin and the muscles of those who are the enemies of God at His second coming, or at Christ's second coming. Their flesh will be eaten, we're told, by scavenger birds. It will be a feast for them as they pick away at the carcasses of the fallen. A lot of birds coming down. We're told there in, in verse 17 that, um, that these birds are in mid-heaven, it says, or, or saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, that phrase, in the midst of heaven, is about the mid-heaven, of course, and that's that atmosphere where birds actually pretty much reside. We'll get back to verse 17 in a moment, but we can also talk about other ways of looking at what flesh means here. It is literal, because it is a word that is used for a literal eating of flesh. But we can also talk about non-believers figuratively here as bringing forth the works of the flesh. Now we mean that they produce awful things from their unredeemed human nature. When we talk about the works of the flesh, we're talking about awful things that are being produced from an unredeemed human nature. In a great passage of Scripture, the works of the flesh are described this way. And you need to turn there. Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21. 
Because the Apostle Paul here talks about the flesh this way. The works of the flesh. He says, now the works of the flesh are evident which are. Now notice carefully, adultery. That's number one on the list here. You all know what that is. I don't have to explain that, do I? Adultery, fornication. You all know what that is. Sexual activities that are not condoned through marriage, as it were. Uncleanness, lewdness. These four that are mentioned immediately and together, in fact, are all sexual sins. Uncleanness and lewdness is connected to sexual sins. I want you to notice the next one because it is tied into it all the time in the scriptures. It's the word idolatry. Time and time again, every religion or every false religion, every religion that that stood up against the God of Israel and the God of, of, uh, of the believer, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and of course, Jesus Christ. Both Old and New Testament. Every false religion or every... Uh, religious sect or group every one of them included all kinds of devious sexual behavior or I should say deviant sexual behavior in their practices of their religion that's why idolatry is always connected to the sexual sins so you've got the four in the previous verse Idolatry, then notice the progression down. Sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. So, I mean, that's a pretty complete list. You can pretty much cap- you know, catalog everything on the, under that list. Or categorize, as it were. But, but you've got a lot of stuff there. Of which I tell you beforehand, Paul says, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now this is very critical for us to understand. Those who practice such things. The sad thing is that sometimes these things are practiced even by people in the church, but how do they practice? They can't practice those things openly, so they practice them hidden. The world practices them openly. But the point is, it is the word practice. Habitual, willful activity in these things. Let me just say that if a person stumbles in any of these areas as a believer, but comes to the Lord through the conviction of the Holy Spirit and seeks God and the forgiveness of, of, of the people around them that they, they've heard through these things, they can be forgiven. Is that not true? Because you can go through, down through this list and, 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 and find most of these things that are, yeah, they're all sins and they're works of the flesh, but none of them are the unforgivable sin. They're forgiven. But as a, as a whole, we're seeing them categorized here as the works of the flesh. And those who practice them willfully, 
and habitually continue on in all of these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now that's important. Because now Jesus returns to establish the kingdom of God on earth. He returns to establish the kingdom of God in Jerusalem on Mount Zion. And these who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So that's a serious matter, isn't it? That's a serious matter that we need to correct through repentance and forgiveness before the day that God comes. It's as clear as, 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 as can be explained. They are of the flesh, having never received the Lord as their Savior. Again, those who practice willfully. Believers, if we're struggling through any of these things, we need to take them to God right away. And we need to start clearing our hearts now. Because Jesus can come at any moment. He can come at any time. And He loves you too much to leave you in any state of the loss of the wonderful things that God has already said He wants to give you. It's so serious. So, let's go back to our text, Revelation 19, verse 17. I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried out with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather together for the great supper. Or for the, that's actually the great supper of our God. Uh, even though it says the supper of, our, of the great God. It, uh, and then it says that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and of those who sit on them, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. So we have this angel that blocks out the sun. Now think about the glory of this angel. If he's just an angel, you know that the glory of God is greater. But nonetheless, we see an angel that actually blocks out the sun on account of his own brilliance. Now that's kind of significant. And he calls out to birds that have to gather in, uh, that have to gather in, the, in the valley of Megiddo. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> we know this. Why, why, why are we saying that it's the valley of Megiddo? It goes back to chapter 16, and I want you to go back there to verse 16, because it says, And they gathered them together to the place called in Hebrew, Har Megiddo, which means Armageddon, which means the valley of Megiddo. So when you read, you know, you go through that uh, passage there in chapter 16, and you know we're talking about, you know, the, the, the bowls, uh, the bowl judgments that come very quickly uh, when you get down to 16. It's the sixth bowl now. And, and so, but we're seeing now that, that uh, there's, there's going to be a gathering in Armageddon. This is the gathering. Now, in a few weeks... In other words, right after we finish all the chapters of Revelation, which we're getting very close to finishing, in a few weeks I'm, I'm going to be doing a study on comparing this battle of Armageddon or this war. Really, it's, it's not a battle, it's a war. But we're going to compare this battle of Armageddon to the war or battle of Gog and Magog of Ezekiel 30 and 39. 
I want to do a comparison of that because I think that we need to realize how closely related these, these wars are. There are many, there are many uh, theologians and, and, and Bible prophecy teachers who, who actually believe there are two separate uh, wars and battles. One is supposed to take place before the rapture of the church, another is supposed to take place at the very end of, of, of the um, seven-year period of tribulation. But there's a, there's a lot of things, and I'm going to show you one here in just a moment, uh, that are very interesting comparisons to these battles. <clears throat> and so, uh, let's, let's look at it. I mean, let's stay tuned, by the way. But we're going to, I want to come back because I think it's very important that we understand these things. But I, wanna, I don't want to do it tonight. But let's go to that verse in Ezekiel 39, verse 17. I want you to see the comparison because all of a sudden we, we realize something brings us to these two passages and ties them together. It says, And as for you, son of man, thus says the Lord God, Speak to every sort of bird and to every beast of the field. Assemble yourselves and come. Gather together from all the sides to my sacrificial meal, which I am sacrificing for you. Now he calls it his sacrificial meal. This is God speaking. What do we call this? The great supper of God. Isn't that interesting? which I am sacrificing for you, a great sacrificial meal on the mountains of Israel, that you may eat flesh and drink blood. So, what a comparison that is. We're not done. Verse 18. You shall eat the flesh of the mighty, drink the blood of the princes of the earth, of rams and lambs, of goats and bulls, all of them, uh, all of them fatlings of Bashan. You shall eat fat till you are full, and drink blood till you are drunk at my sacrificial meal which I am sacrificing for you. And one more verse. You shall be filled at my table with riders and, or horses and riders and with mighty men and with all the men of war, says the Lord God. Is there some semblance to something we've already read? Yes. So this is what's supposed to whet your appetite for that study. It's coming. But we're going to get through Revelation first. So, all the world's remaining scavenger birds will come and fill the sky. They will literally eat on the flesh of the fallen. But we are to also see the failure of the flesh from a spiritual standpoint. We cannot forget that. Think of the fact that we are living in a world that has lived after its flesh... A world uh, where we have sought by, by many means to pamper the flesh. Even to the extent of worshiping its flesh. The world has sought to worship its flesh. And even today, seeking to extend the life of its flesh. But may I remind you what Paul said in Galatians chapter 6, verse 8. He said, For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. You see, if you sow to the flesh, it's an indication that you do not sow to the Spirit. Therefore, you sow to one or the other. You can't sow to both. I mean, at times as believers, you know, we take our eyes off of the Lord and we... You know, we may sow into the flesh a little bit, and, and the Lord's very quick to convict us of our sin. Very quick. 
And I hope he's quick with you so he can bring you back right away because you don't need to be messing with those things of the flesh or the world. But I think there's a clear distinction between those who sow to the flesh and those who sow to the Spirit because he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life, which you'll never reap if you sow to the flesh. So as, as uh, has often been said by some people, you can either come to the marriage supper of the Lamb or you can be supper for the birds of the air. Uh, or instead of seeing what's on the menu, you'll be the menu and not the guests. Okay, seriously. William Newell pointed to four different suppers. And this is very important, folks, so listen carefully. William Newell pointed to four different suppers described in the Scriptures. First of all, he describes the supper of salvation that is alluded to in Jesus' parable found in Luke chapter 14. I'd like for you to mark this down. Read this tonight. Luke chapter 14, verses 16 through 24. Luke chapter 14, verses 16 through 24. Read it tonight. It's not a very long passage. But it's the parable where Jesus talks about <clears throat> the father sending out a father, a father sending out invitations uh, to a to a to a wedding, and the people receiving the invitation were saying, "Oh, I I can't go. I gotta I gotta do this or I gotta do that." In other words, giving excuses. So then he tells the servant, "Go out to the highways and the byways, and give the invitation to whomever that they're all welcome to come." So that's that's the the parable. But read it tonight, though. Read it yourselves. That's the supper of salvation. Secondly, he, he alludes us to the, uh, to the Lord's Supper, uh, which Jesus uh, shared, uh, you know, it was the Passover Supper that he shared with his disciples before he went to the cross. The Lord's Supper that commemorates Jesus' sacrifice. It's the second supper. The third supper is the marriage supper of the Lamb, which we studied a couple of weeks ago or a few weeks ago. Marriage supper of the Lamb. And then the fourth supper, of course, is this supper, the supper of the great God. So here, here if, you, if you kind of mark down these four suppers, listen carefully. If you reject the first supper, the supper of salvation, if you reject the first supper, the second supper will mean nothing to you. If you reject the first supper of salvation, the second supper, the Lord's Supper... The table of communion will mean nothing to you. Then you will not be present at the third supper, the supper of the marriage of the supper of the Lamb. But you will be present for the fourth supper. That's something to think about here. Examine our hearts. Where are we with God? Where are we with Jesus? I mean, these are ominous thoughts. In reference to verse 18 of our text, there is a great biblical principle in effect. Now, verse 18, by the way, says that, uh, that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and of those who sit on them, and the flesh of all people, free, slave, both small and great. So, here's the principle. God is no respecter of persons. God is no respecter of persons. In the end, only one thing will matter. 
Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? That's what matters. It's not going to matter next week. It's going to matter now. It will matter next week if we're still here. But it matters now. Now is the time of salvation. Now is the day. If not, it makes no difference if you are a great person or small, rich or poor, free or slave in the eyes of other non-believers. So remember, God is not a respecter of persons. Let's go on to verse 19. And I saw the beast, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. We've seen reference to this already in previous chapters of the book of Revelation. And then the beast was captured, notice, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. So here's a question for you. How long does this battle last? How long does this battle last? Well, here's something else to think about. And it comes from the prophecy of Joel. In Joel chapter 1 verse 15 it says, Alas for the day. So underline the word day, which is the word yom. Uh, Alas for the day. For the day of the Lord is at hand. It shall come as destruction from the Almighty. So this is in reference to that great day of God Almighty. And it's a day. But as you read through this passage of Revelation 19... It seems that it is very brief. The battle is not going to be very long. And that's kind of interesting. It's not even going to last a day. And I want you to think about this for a minute. Man has assembled his greatest forces with his greatest weapons of war, with millions upon millions of soldiers, and the battle is over in a short time, and these armies are soundly defeated. Is that the best that man can do against El Shaddai, the Almighty God? Is that it? God is not going to be in some long battle when people are coming against Him. Against Him and His armies. The ten thousands of His saints. Us. Who've come now in a totally different way, in a totally different light. Remember a few weeks ago or a couple of weeks ago I told you that, you know, if you never rode a horse, you're not even going to have to learn how because you're going to already know how. Because you're coming on one. And you're following the one who's riding on the great white horse, whose eyes are flames of fire, and from his mouth proceeds the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. I don't know about you, but I get excited when I read these things because I realize everything that has aggravated us for our lives is going to come to an end. The very devil himself and his antichrist and his false prophet, they're going to come to an end. And there's a place for them. It's called the lake of fire. The lake of fire was not designed for man, but because man has chosen to 
follow after the deception, the lie that was given back in the garden 6,000 years ago, then we'll see later on that that's where they'll end up, those who've rejected God and fight against Him. I get excited because I, I just realize, you know, everything that makes us, you know, that is, that is, caused us to struggle, caused, because we know it's not the Lord. The Lord isn't the one who gives us these aggravations. It's the enemy. And he's got an end. And we can rejoice now. But we need to live now for the one who saves us and saved us and will save us when he comes. Think about how the wickedness of man has come to its fullness today. Think about that. So much so that the wrath of God now reaches its peak here. The creature is a fool who fights against his creator. The creature is a fool who fights against his creator. Already in our day, God has been ordered off parts of his creation, right? He's being told by measly men, we don't want you here. And in our own country that was founded on the Judeo-Christian principles and upon the laws of God, we're telling God, we don't want your law in our courts. We don't want you in our schools. I thank God for that young man in California that stood up as a speaker at his commencement. And he was told, you can't talk about your God. You can't mention your Christian life. And he went straight at it and did it. And he kept saying, I had to submit draft after draft after draft. Obviously, he must have submitted a draft that they approved. And he said, I don't, you know, you can argue whether, whatever. But I mean, you know what? He's, he spoke about his faith in Christ. And the people appreciated it because who are they to tell him he can't speak about what his God is all about when they allow Muslims to go into schools and talk about Allah and they allow all kinds of other things to happen but they won't allow a Christian to talk about Jesus Christ that's where we live today and it's getting worse the creature is a fool who fights against his creator. Even our own Supreme Court has banned God from the public schools. We can expect the revolt against the Almighty to rise higher and higher until all the earth's hostile forces assemble themselves to defeat him. That's where it's headed. That's where all of this is headed. And, and I can only tell you that this is truly the height of arrogance when this happens. You got some more homework coming up. Look at Romans chapter 1. 
I'm starting at verse 22. I'd like for you all to read from verse 18 all the way to the end of that chapter. But in Romans 8, 120, uh, I'm sorry, Romans 1.22, it says, Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. And therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the, for the lie. Notice, the lie. Where does it all go back to? Genesis chapter 3. And worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Listen to the words of Isaiah, uh, Isaiah's prophecy, Isaiah 45 verse 9. Woe to him who strives with his maker. Let the potsherd strive with the potsherds of the earth. Shall the clay say to him who forms it, what are you making? <laughs> Think about that. Shall the clay say to him who forms it, Hey, what are you making of me? Or shall your handiwork say, He has no hands, judging what the handyman or the, the person, the, the artist or the one doing the handiwork has done. But that's what man's doing today. That's what man is doing today. Well, getting back to verse 20, let's, let's get there. Judgment will fall first on the beast and the false prophet. No, no natural weapon was used against them, but the doom of these characters is certain. The great drama of earth's hostilities is now drawing to a close. The seed of the woman. Who is the seed of the woman? Jesus Christ. The seed of the woman will finally bruise the serpent's head. If you remember, that was the prophecy, that the seed of the woman would bruise the head of the serpent. And Satan's two angels of vile wickedness will still be found alive in the lake of fire at the close of a thousand years. Now that's to describe the kind of torment that someone who is completely against God and his and against Christ and against his people will suffer Revelation 20 verse 10 says the devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever notice they're not annihilated to the point where they just die and the, you know the lights turned out and nobody else is home and no, no, there is eternal torment. A torment that will never end. Let the doom of these two and their followers serve as a solemn warning to all who are still rejecting Christ. The alarm must be sounded. God has done everything to save us. We must come to Christ at once and receive Him. Rebellion against Him means doom, for no weapon formed against Him can prosper. If anyone decides to take issue with these things, they must deal with Him 
who is the author of them. No enemy on the battlefield that day will survive. Notice verse 21. The rest were killed with a sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. The armies themselves will be killed by Christ's sword and the number of the dead will be so great that the vultures will have more than they can eat. The defeat of earth's wicked will then be complete, will be finalized as later judgments search out the unsaved in other parts of the world and also kill them. And consider this, the, the same inspired word of God which so wonderfully describes the grace of God and the salvation which is available to all who believe is is equally plain about the judgment of all who reject the grace of God. The tendency of liberal interpreters of the Scriptures to emphasize passages dealing with the love of God and to ignore passages dealing with His righteous judgment is completely unjustified. The passages on judgment are just as inspired and inaccurate as those which develop the doctrines of grace and salvation. The scripture is clear that judgment awaits the wicked. And the second coming of Christ is the occasion for a worldwide judgment unparalleled in scripture since the time of Noah's flood. Today God speaks still his word to us because it is the power of God unto salvation. It is then our sanctification as we are changed by it from glory to glory into the image of Jesus. We only need to add obedience to experience its blessing. I want to close with Titus chapter 2 verses 11 through 15. Titus chapter 2. Paul says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, We should live live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Looking for, notice, looking for. See, are you doing that tonight? Are you looking for the coming, the blessed hope? Are you looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of our great God and Savior? The glorious appearing, not just the appearing, but the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people zealous for good works. Speak these things. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. You know, it was so clear from Paul's heart to to Titus that, that he said, listen, This is a serious matter. What happens in the end is serious because Jesus is coming in a totally different way than he came the first time. When he came the first time, he came to save. When he comes again, 
He comes to judge. If all of the things that we saw earlier in those little slides of what was going on, what was being said, what was being done in the Middle East, if all of these things were predicted thousands of years ago and they're happening now, then don't you think that Jesus is serious enough to say that when he comes, he's going to do exactly what he says? He comes first to redeem his church, to rescue his church, to prepare for that final judge, the time of judgment. Listen, if we think it's bad now, it's going to be worse later. And it's going to be a whole lot worse when the church is gone and raptured. Because that is going to be the open door now for the Lord to bring about His judgment. In the fullest sense. Will there be persecution of the church until then? Yeah, it's happening already. We have a brother in Christ that still lives, that's still in prison in Iran. I hope you pray for him. Pastor Saeed, pray for him. Pray for his family. They're actually connected to a Calvary Chapel here in the States. A Christian's being killed in, in Turkey. A Christian's being killed in, in the Middle East. In gruesome ways. Churches being bombed. Could it happen here? Of course it could. When people throw a blanket over the eyes of, 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 of a lost people who don't care and just say, you know what? We have to all be tolerant about every, every which way that people want to live their lives, but if you are intolerant, then we're being tolerant with you. Well, then they're not tolerant, you see. There's no tolerance at all. So what does the Lord say? Trust in me. Take a stand for me. Put on the armor of God. Get into God's Word. Pray. Seek His face. Turn from your wicked ways. God will hear from heaven. He's going to heal this land. Because there's still a lot of people here that's serious about Jesus Christ. I hope you're serious. Let's pray.